if you're starting a podcast just for the sake of creating content, there's easier ways to create content. Do it because there's specific people you want to connect with. You're going to create relationships that otherwise you just might not have been able to create. Welcome to season one, episode one of the Double Your Freelancing podcast. So we're bringing back the podcast and we're moving it toward a themed uh, season model. So instead of having just a bunch of random episodes that come out week to week or whatever the interval, we're going to be moving towards a very focused, very thematic uh, season-based model. So the first season is all about lead generation. What can you do to generate more leads for your freelancing business or agency from your website, from podcasting, and so on. In this first episode, I sat down with Matt Inglot, the founder of the agency Tilted Pixel and the host of the Freelance Transformation Podcast. And Matt and I talked about how you can use podcasting both as a host and as a guest to generate new business. And even if you're the most microphone-shy introvert in the world, please don't be put off by the subject of this episode. If you can talk to a client, you can talk on a podcast. So you're going to learn how you can use podcasting to build an audience, get in front of your ideal clients, and showcase your research and case studies. And at the end of the interview, we discuss how you can know if podcasting truly is right for you. Before we get to the interview, I want to give a huge shout out to our season one sponsor, FreshBooks. So FreshBooks makes the accounting and getting paid crap that you need to put up with as a freelance business owner or agency owner as painless as possible. It's 100% in your browser, so you can access it on your phone or on your laptop or desktop, and your clients can log in and see everything that they've already paid you, along with being able to pay their latest invoice from their web browser directly online. So let FreshBooks know that you appreciate them for helping make this podcast possible by going to freshbooks.com double, and from there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial with no credit card required. So give it a shot. And don't forget to grab the free book that we've created just for this season. Head over to doubleyourfreelancing.com slash season one to download all the in-depth notes and key takeaways from this episode and every episode from the season. No need to take notes. We've done that for you. All right. In this episode, I have my good friend, Matt Inglot, who has spoken um, at the Double Your Freelancing Conference, but I've known him for years. And Matt and I are going to be chatting about how you can use podcasting to get you consulting clients. So first off, welcome, Matt. Thanks so much for having me here. Absolutely. So you've got a podcast, Freelance Transformation, which I'm sure there's a lot of overlap between your podcast and this one. Um, So I'm sure most of the listeners already know you and know your voice. Um, But what's really interesting, I think, and one thing that I really want to uncover uh, in this conversation is using podcasting as a client acquisition channel. I know personally, I've gotten more consulting clients going on other people's podcasts than my own. Um, But what I want to do is I want to kind of drill into what led you to start a podcast? How did that align with the agency you were and are running? And what effect has podcasting had on your business, your consulting business, but also your network in general. So why don't we start from there? So why don't you tell tell us a bit about the agency you run and how podcasting fits into that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I've run an agency for the past 12 years called Tilted Pixel. I think of it as a micro agency. It's a word I thought I made up, but apparently others use it too, which is awesome. But it's the idea of having an agency that's just big enough to have an amazing lifestyle business, but not so big that I feel like I'm working 80-hour work weeks and trying to build this big, massive monster because that's not what I'm about at all. So I've, yeah, I've done that for 12 years. And then back in April of 2015, I launched a website and podcast called Freelance Transformation. And you're asking how that fits into my agency. And I guess the most counterintuitive thing about this whole interview is going to be that that had originally had nothing to do with my agency. <laughs> I, knew, I knew something about finding clients and all of that good stuff from all the years of doing it. And I wanted to help other freelancers do it. And I was also kind of trying to scratch the itch of starting an online business because I had helped so many clients build successful ones. So I started that podcast. And you know, fast forward two and a half years, it's actually been tremendously helpful to my agency as well as allowing me to build freelance transformation itself. So let's let's talk about that a second. So you you do interviews with people on your podcast where you talk to people who are experts or you know have interesting stories or something about consulting that they want to share on air. And you do an interview somewhat similar to this. And that's turned into projects like, you know, a $60,000 project that was a direct result of that podcast. How does, I mean, it doesn't sound like that was strategic upfront as a way to like, you weren't thinking, how do I get more consulting clients? Oh, I know. I'll talk to other consultants. How did, how would you say those, those pieces fit together? How did that end up working that you were able to get projects like that from your podcast? Yeah, so I think there's two main things to look at here. Uh, the first is the fact that podcasting is a great networking hack. Um, I, I think people have heard this before, but when you actually go and do it, you realize just how shockingly true that is. So when I first launched Freelance Transformation, I went to MicroConf, a conference in Vegas, um, pretty much right after I launched. And when I was at that conference, I was able to go up to everybody and not just say, you know, I'm mad and, you know, I do web development stuff. I was able to say, I'm mad. I'm the host of Freelance Transformation. Yeah. And through that conference, and I mean, that was, I mean, we, we had connected online before, but that was the first time you and I had met in person. And I remember sitting down with your portable mic yeah. and recording, I think, one of the first episodes. Yeah. And that's where I also learned that trying to record an episode live in <laughs> Vegas is not the best idea. Right. Um, it worked out, but there was definitely noise in the audio. But I was able to go and talk to all these people. And at that first conference, I ended up making a ton of amazing connections. And I was able to easily build those relationships further through those podcasts. The first like 20 episodes of Freelance Transformation, a shocking amount of them are microconf attendees, <laughs> or people referred to me by microconf attendees. Right. And as a result of that, I was suddenly very quickly going from not being known in the freelancing space at all and not really having this community of consulting peers to very quickly starting to get to know everybody in the biz, so right. to speak. And what that allowed me to do is now I had this powerful network of other consultants that, one, I could learn from, of course, uh, which has been tremendously powerful, but now I had this opportunity to get referrals and get connections to clients 
from other people that what do they do all day? They consult, right? So obviously we can help each other out. So that was, that was probably the big uh, number one thing was just the sheer networking opportunity. Um, and then there's a second thing as well, but maybe you want to dive into that first. Well, so let, let's dig in that a bit more. So it, it sounds like what you're saying, which is what I thought going into this recording, was it's not the listeners per se that end up saying, oh, I like this host. I'm going to go hire him for a web development project. It sounds like it's more about the people you meet and get to know through hosting this podcast that has led you to, um, you know, getting to know, say, like a Michael Port who might have an industry friend who is looking for a big web development project or something, and Michael knows you, and then that referral comes that way. Is that more accurate in terms of how? Absolutely. So, so. The amazing thing is once you have a podcast, you can much more easily connect with people. And you mentioned Michael Port. Um, So I've had a number of names on the show that before starting a podcast, I couldn't even imagine meeting them, right? Like they just seemed like completely out of my league, but I was able to connect with them and have in-depth conversations with them, stay in touch with some of them, all because I now had this platform that I could bring them on. So I've had Michael Port on the show, I've had Alan Weiss, uh, author of Million Dollar Consulting, on the show. I have had Steve Sims on the show. Not everyone's heard of him, but holy cow. Um, He built the most interesting business helping other celebrities and ultra-wealthy people uh, basically uh, do anything, like go to space, for example, or get married in the Vatican. So he was a cool connection. Charlie Hone, and obviously uh, you and I connected through podcasting. Um, It's all just been uh, a way of reaching to these people and getting those connections and furthering those relationships. And that in turn has led to kind of a snowball effect because you build this circle and now you can meet other people that you can help or they can help you. And next thing you know, this previously like inaccessible community is now accessible. Now, of course, we mentioned at the beginning of the interview that this was a little bit accidental. So if I was doing this specifically for my agency, one thing I would have done differently is done my podcast around the audience I'm trying to reach with my agency, right? right? Instead of other freelancers. right? Um, And then I think that would have been even more powerful. But yeah, I mean, networking wise, it's been shocking. So let me, let me ask you this now. So when you launched, you didn't really have any following in the freelancing space, right? So what do you attribute the, I think you said before we started recording, you're now at about 273,000 downloads of your podcast with about 10 to 15,000 a month adding to that, that, that amount. What got you there? I mean, how did you, I think what I've seen is many people will you know, the idea is I'm going to go, I have an, I'm starting a new podcast from scratch. I'm going to go reach out to somebody like an Alan Weiss or Michael Port and try to convince them to come on, which it's one of those things. And we can dig into this too, where you, like you mentioned the snowball effect, it's, it's harder to go to like the celebrities uh, until you have some credibility first. But how did you get the first listeners to the podcast? I mean, were you expecting that the people you interviewed would maybe promote it to their audience, which would in turn um, kind of build yours? Or 
did you have another strategy that you used to get the first listeners? Yeah, I had a three-pronged strategy. And I thought about that a lot, um, especially because I don't think I'm even a particularly great self-promoter, <laughs> right? I knew I wouldn't be the person on Facebook tweeting my episode or see, I just called Facebooking tweeting. So that tells you everything you need to know about my social media. Uh, I wasn't going to be the person that was going to share my podcast on Facebook 50 times a day, right? That's not me. So I had to figure out what would work well for me. So I took uh, three strategies. One, when I launched my podcast, one of the best things that I did is I reached out to everybody I knew. Mm-hmm. and ask them to check it out and leave a review. And I knew most of these people wouldn't become listeners per se. But when you first launch a podcast, getting that initial stream of downloads is important. It makes iTunes say, hey, you know, that there's something here. Right. So instead of launching to crickets, I was able to launch to lots of reviews, uh, lots of downloads, well, relatively lots of downloads, of course, um, instead of just trying to figure out where I'd find people. Uh, I also did have an email list I started. It wasn't very big, but I had like two or 300 people um, just from trying to build an email list, appearing in a couple podcasts uh, before launching my show. That helped a lot. So that was kind of the first thing was just grassroots strategy. Uh, second thing was definitely guests. I was quite frankly very strategic with the first guest I chose. And I made sure to choose guests that were consulting focused, not just in the businesses that they ran, but who would have that consulting audience that I could reach and who would be likely to share the episode. And the third thing I did, of course, was go to MicroConf and go to that conference because there, I mean, you're not going to get a ton of listeners from a conference. You could hand out a business card all day long to every conference attendee. And let's say you hand out 100 cards that's still only 100 downloads if every single person actually... And to get 100 downloads, assuming 100% uh, listen rate. Yeah. Flying to Vegas, paying $800, $900 for the ticket. The ROI is probably not there if you're just looking for net new subscribers. Exactly. But what was super impactful is it allowed me to build relationships with my first guests. And that makes all the difference in the world. A lot of these people get interviewed a lot. Um, and this is even more true when you get into like celebrities and really popular people and stuff. Um, so by building that relationship, it was the difference between having someone appear on my show and then if I'm lucky, tweet about it right. versus really actively promote me. So many people even emailed their list to share that interview, which was so powerful because usually um, when someone appears on your podcast, they're not necessarily going to email their list about it because again, they get interviewed a lot. But I had a lot of people doing that for me. Why? Because I built a relationship. They didn't see this as yet another podcast. Uh, They saw this as they want to help their friend Matt. So they're going to do everything they can to promote it. Even Michael Port, like he shared it all over his social very deliberately, right? Mm -hmm. He really enjoyed the interview. And that was super cool. So it's all about building those relationships to have guests that want to share. And I think if I hadn't done that, I hadn't gone to that conference, I would have missed out on that kind of boosting effect. How would you, the listeners for the most part, or the viewers, I should say, because we're recording this too, um, they, you know, assuming they are creative freelancers, so they're web designers, web developers, marketers, and so on. Would you advise most people, if they were starting out, they have no, say they have no audience, they have no um, 
online kind of influence. Would you just say like, like in my case, lately I've been doing a lot with marketing automation for clients. And I would think if I were to strategically use podcasting, I would default to thinking, well, what are the kind of things that my ideal client would listen to? What are the kind of episodes and, and so on um, that they would listen to? And how can I, what can I do to kind of create a new voice, create a new you know, podcast that would bring a different spin, but my spin to, that would effectively be without being an over sales pitch, a sales pitch every episode, right? Where you're able to see, a good example of this actually is um, one of the people actually from the Academy, Justin, I don't know if you, do you know Justin? Yeah. He's in the, in the wearable tech space, right? And yeah. one of the things I think he was starting to do was he would interview CEOs and uh, people who work at wearable tech companies um, about the future of wearable technology, what their company's doing, and just kind of give them the spotlight. But he's a consultant in the wearable tech space, right? So both before and after the interview, I mean, there's that kind of like pre and post chat, right? Where he'd really shore up his new relationship with this person, ask them, hey, do you have anyone in the, um, in the industry that you think would be a good fit for this show that you could introduce me to? And it allowed him to build up this network of people in this wearable tech space, which is a tight-knit community, but now he, as, an, as a consultant, as an iOS consultant in that space, is able to, you know, he's able to build up this network of people where it's not as much about the people on the listening end, like his peers or people marginally interested in wearable tech, but rather he's now able to kind of stair step up to bigger CEOs at bigger wearable tech companies and so on, just by name dropping his previous people he's interviewed, right? And I think that's been, and I've seen that formula work exceptionally well, where you don't need it, you kind of self-appoint yourself as a expert, in this case, in wearable tech, right? And um, you start with maybe one or two different episodes or one or two or three different interviews with you know people that if you email them, they're not huge, massive celebrities, but um, you email them, you're able to get these recordings going, and then you could kind of work your way up using their own network. And like, I think you and I have both done kind of create this, this network of people that we can email and ask for favors and they email us asking for favors. And, you know, I mean, I've seen, for instance, with right message, the new company I'm working on that network I've built up with conferences, with double your freelancing and so on has helped us kind of have an unfair advantage out of the gate, which has been really, really a big deal. Yeah. Imagine trying to start right message with no network, no audience. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I think it's a really big cheat code that, enough of us don't exploit. And it's not exploiting in a negative way. It's just, it's a really effective way, I think, of making it a win-win for both parties when building up your network. Yeah, absolutely. And Justin and I talked about that extensively. So yes, uh, I'm glad he's having a lot of success with that strategy because I was pushing him to do that. So that's really cool. And I think there's two reasons that that works. I mean, one, as we talked extensively, there's the networking element, Mm -hmm. but there's also the authority element, right? Because it's not just that you're an iOS consultant in this case, getting to connect with all these CEOs, but now you're an expert in the field because you actually have a publication on this stuff. And especially with something like wearables, I mean, there's only so many people publishing content in that space. So it's not 
actually not that hard to become a name in that space. And it is so much easier than writing a book or guest posting. I mean, for this interview alone, I'm looking at about 12 bullet points in a Google Doc, and then everything else is created on the spot, right? That's the nature of a podcast episode or something like that. Whereas, um, you know, I'm working on a guest post now for Growth Lab. It's 5,000 words. It's taking me days to, you know, between editorial review cycles and everything else to get it right. But I could have really conveyed a lot of the same things that I'm writing in that guest post in a 30-minute podcast episode or something, right? For those of us who don't want to create the book on wearable tech or or maybe not yet, it's a really simple, I think, relatively simple way to get started. Yeah. And not only that, but if you create a book on wearable tech, you still have to figure out how to publish it, how to get it into people's hands where, again, because the podcast format, if you go interviews, is you're bringing someone in each week or each day, however you do it each season, um, you're naturally building those connections. And then the flip side of it, you mentioned guest posting and how long guest posts take. Uh, I totally agree with you. I'm not so great at... (laughs) seeking guest posts because then I know I have to write them. But I will happily appear on podcasts all day long. Book me up because it's the same thing. Like for you as the host, you have 12 bullet points. For me as the guest, I have some bullet points and I know I have to show up at this particular time and share my knowledge. So it's very time efficient. And it's when you do guest podcasting, that's where getting in front of those listeners becomes one of the key things is suddenly you're reaching other people's audiences, you're bringing them back to your world and you do that enough times and you're like, wow, I've built my own audience now. Right, right. And you know, one other thing I've, I've been wanting to talk more about this for a while. You know, I think you and I both go on a fair amount of podcasts. And one interesting thing about going on somebody else's podcast is first off, it's easier when you have your own. When you've shown that you get it, you're not going to come with like, you're not going to bumble your way through the interview or you're not going to show up with like a built-in mic and, you know, from a coffee shop or something like that. Right. So the, the interesting thing for me has been as I go on, you know, say a few dozen podcasts over the span of a year and I end up routinely explaining the same thing again and again, each time I do it, I'm better able to explain and describe you know, say a theory or a way, uh, you know, when I talk about, for instance, generating or closing, uh, you know, project leads, right? I would talk about Socratic questioning and then how I quantify the financial upside of a project and so on. This glossary, this, the language that I use again and again, gets a little more refined every time I do it. So by the time that I'm able to go and say, write a sales page or do something more markety with that, it's so much better as a result of having discussed it with somebody else on a podcast episode so many times that I'm more confident in what I'm saying, but I'm also better able to artic- articulate what I'm saying and the benefits and so on. And that's been kind of an accidental. I mean, it's, it's really obvious. If you go back to, I'm sure for both of us, if you go back to the first episode of Freelance Tr- Transformation or the first uh, few times you've been on somebody else's podcast, your confidence, the way you describe your, you know, so tell me a bit about what you do, Matt, and where you, about your agency and your background. It, it just gets better, you know, every time you do it. And I think that's one of the, it's kind of like um, 
you know, here, I don't know if they have it in Canada, but here in the States, there's this group called Toastmasters where you can go and get confident in public speaking. And for me, podcasting has done that, but in a way where it's like, imagine a Toastmasters meeting allows you to somehow permanently up your brand by virtue of going to that meeting. And in a way, podcasting has helped me do that at least, right? Where I've been on many of them now and the early ones were really crappy in terms of how I did, I think, but it's kind of permanently given me that backlink and gained maybe you know a dozen or two new people who discovered maybe my stuff through that episode. And it, it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving in a way. And, um, you know, so both from the being a guest on a podcast and hosting one, I mean, they both play into each other really nicely. And they both, I think, uh, help you with, you know, public speaking and getting better at articulating a message and so on. Yeah, the articulating your message thing is huge because when I started freelance transformation, I struggled with that because I started it on the basis of, hey, I learned all this stuff about consulting. Now I have to write really insightful articles about it. And you start to realize the difference between the stuff that you know versus actually figuring out how to articulate it to others and structure it in theories or models or just convey it in a way that will actually make sense to others and can be repurposed by them and their business. So when I first started Freelance Transformation, I really struggled with that. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know this, why can't I share it? The first articles, I mean, they were just brutal. They would take me days and days to write. I'd be sitting at a coffee shop, just completely frustrated with myself. And then exactly as you said, once I started having the opportunity to talk to people on the show, to go on other people's podcasts, to get to share some of my ideas, just amazing clarity happened. And now if there, now there's certain topics that I talk about a lot, like finding ideal clients, for example. Mm-hmm. I can just riff on that on the spot very easily because I've talked about it so many times before, exactly as you've experienced. Right. And, and you know, you have, a, you have a course for new freelancers that you've created. And despite the fact that the podcast has probably been hugely helpful in building up the audience of customers for that course, how would you say all the interviews you've hosted have affected the quality of the content of the course? Um, you know, had you created the course before freelance transformation, how would the course have been different than the way it is now? Ah, that's a great question. So freelance start would have been, I think, quite different if I hadn't done that. Because being a podcast host and having 144 plus episodes has given me an almost like scientific data set of being able to see what's worked for other people and being able to find patterns. Versus if I had created the material before, it would have been based solely on my experiences. But there's certain insights I had that I think I only would have had from the podcast. So one big one was the split of time spent marketing your consulting versus actually doing consulting. Time and time again, the people on my podcast, they devote significant time on marketing. It could be a 50-50 split. It could be a 30-70 split between marketing and client work. But it's significant. And then I go and I coach students or I teach in your program, for example. And what do I discover? Well, the people that are struggling finding clients, inevitably the split is something like 10% time spent marketing, 90% spent on client work. Right. And it was just kind of a eureka moment 
where it's like, wait a minute, there's a clear pattern here. And again, that happened because I was able to, you know, interview a lot of guests or the fact that client acquisition strategies are important. But honestly, you can find clients in a lot of different ways. I'm sorry, but there's no single golden strategy that is just above everything else. But it's how you execute your chosen strategy that matters. And I know this because, I mean, I've had guests on my show talk about everything from like social media, networking, all the usual stuff, all the way over to sending cakes <laughs> to people that they right. want to target as clients. So it all works. Right. It's how you do it. It's about focus and execution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so to get back to kind of the listeners, right? I mean, I think there's probably, if I was starting today, a new podcast on and actually, I can talk about this. So we're starting a podcast for Right Message, which is going to be on um, marketing personalization, right? And one thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking with existing companies that have either DIY'd some of this themselves or um, have done it very well using other tools that aren't our tools. And the goal is to not only build up a network of people influential and or successful in the personalization space, but also as a way to get more confident, not only in in hearing the way they describe what led them to do this, how they stumbled, how they screwed up a lot and so on, um, which then in turn is going to allow us to better refine our own marketing downstream, which, I mean, I think that's kind of one of the, if you think about it, like a lot of people say you need to intimately understand your customers before you can market to them right? You need to know what they want, how they describe their needs and so on before you can effectively sell to them. Every, everyone oh, yeah. does that, right? Um, but on top of that, so that, that's like the market research component, right? But you also need your own, to build up your own authority. You need to build up, you need to decommoditize yourself, right? By um, making yourself somebody who, you know, has a certain angle that they take or, you know, is somebody that people just want to work with rather than just like a commoditized web developer. So that's another angle. And then there's the ability to really get good and confident in what it is you're selling and the ability that you have to describe what it is you're selling. And I would think podcasting allows you to do all three simultaneously in a way that, you know, I do an interview with somebody and I learn from them about how they got into, say, personalization and where they screwed up and stuff. I'm learning about them, but I'm also able to, in effect, in a way, in a weird way, maybe even coach them or explain my own rationale or something like that on air, which gets me more confident at explaining stuff and, and understanding it myself. But on top of that, I'm also now I have an asset. So if people are searching around the iTunes podcast marketplace or they're just Googling around or they find my site and they find like all these podcast episodes about where I'm, you know, able to, they're able to kind of get into my head before they've even met me formally. Like all three of those can be effectively done in one go with a podcast. Right. And I think that's really, really key. It shouldn't be focused on just the meme. It's, it's what are we, what are you achieving by doing something like podcasting? Yeah, I think that's huge. And you're right. There's this triple effect happening, which is really powerful. And if you read between the lines of everything that you just said, 
none of it really requires you to have a huge audience. That, that, that's the real magic. It's like, even if like initially when you're starting out, not a lot of people are going to be listening and it's okay because you're still accomplishing all those things. You're doing your customer interviews, you're building your authority, you're connecting with these amazing people. And yeah, I mean, hopefully you're going to build up a listener base. But I think that's what stops people from wanting to do it is they feel that unless they start a giant podcast that's going to get to the iTunes top 10 or something, it's not worth doing. Or they see it as the podcast is magically going to bring me clients because everybody's going to listen to my podcast, think I'm amazing, and they're all just going to come flooding in. Whereas it's the game that's happening behind the scenes that's really effective. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think to go on what you just said, I think it's kind of like they assume it's almost like a, a acquisition channel, like Facebook ads or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'll have a podcast. I'll have a blog. I'll do, you know, it's all just, if one of them isn't giving me clients directly, then I obviously, this isn't working for me and I'll just stop doing it and let it rot and go away. But like you just mentioned, it's, it's the learning, it's the experience you gain from it. Even if you have no listeners, that is so hugely valuable, I think. And both of us, I think, are on the same page that even if no one was listening, we would still find the exercise very worthwhile. Absolutely. Um, I'm friends with uh, a producer for uh, Mixergy, uh, Jeremy Weiss, mm-hmm. and he has his own podcast as well. And that's a piece of advice that he constantly repeats, which is that even if nobody was listening, he'd still be running his own show. Yep. Um, yep. And it's just, again, all the connections he gets from that, all the learning, everything. That's why he runs his podcast. And right. the fact that he has an audience built around that is awesome. But So let's, let's close on this note. So quick pros and cons of podcasting. You know, assuming you're listening, the, the person listening is, again, a creative freelancer, maybe runs a small agency, and is, I think we're both probably going to be on the same page and saying like, don't expect to start a podcast today and have a new client from it tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, though, I think we've, reading between the lines, I think we've articulated a lot of different reasons, a lot of pros for why somebody should think about podcasting and what effect it could have on them and their business and their authority. But to kind of sum it all up, what are the key points that you would say are reasons for why somebody should podcast and what maybe are the cons? Why, why shouldn't somebody uh, potentially either kick off or even be looking at going on other people's podcasts. Sure. So reasons to do it are first and foremost that you do have a reason to do it. So there's a broader strategy behind it. If you're starting a podcast just for the sake of creating content, there's easier ways to create content. So do it because there's specific people you want to connect with. That's a great reason to do it. Uh, You're going to create relationships that otherwise uh, you just might not have been able to create. I think Justin's story is amazing. He's talking to all of these CEOs of wearable tech companies. Why? Because he decided, you know, he's going to use this strategy to get to talk to them, right? So it does work. Um, So that's a reason to do it. Um, Like you mentioned, articulating your thoughts, ideas, etc. clearly. The other reason to start a podcast, it becomes easier to get on other people's podcasts. And when you get on other people's podcasts, do a great job of it and not end up just stumbling through the whole interview. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity if there's a strategy behind it. Cons. It does take time. And that goes back to having a strategy behind it. When I first started Freelance Transformation, every episode was probably 10 hours of my time. I was editing them myself. 
I was learning how to connect with guests. I was like trying to learn my way around just how podcast hosting works, how iTunes works. There was a learning curve. Now that I'm 144 episodes in, everything's been turned into processes. And I have a production company that produces the show. And you know, I have a nice network so I can easily find guests. But none of that was in place at the beginning, right? Yep. So recognize that you are investing significant time into this. Another reason um, or another con, I guess, is that it's probably not the fastest way to directly build an audience. So if you're someone that's trying to find lots of traffic fast, don't start your own podcast. Focus on guesting for other people, guest podcasting, guest article writing. You will build that audience faster. But having your own show will let you connect with the exact people you want to connect with. And especially if we're talking about consulting here, it's rarely a numbers game. Like my agency has never been a numbers game. Uh, my traffic stats to my own agency websites are like 500 to 1,000 visitors a month. Mm -hmm. Like it's nothing when you compare it to like this, what we're doing right now. But for me, it's not about quantity. It's about finding that person that has 50000 or $80,000 to spend with me. Right. And that's something where the podcast is tremendously powerful. Yeah, I agree. Do you have any, um, for somebody who maybe does want to start, do you have any recommendations for maybe courses or anything like that on, I know Pat Flynn has a course on podcasting. I think John Lee Dumas has one too. Do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah. I mean, those were both resources that I started with. I started with Pat Flynn's free podcasting guide. I ended up buying Podcaster's Paradise from John Lee because I got fed up trying to piece together all the information online and I just wanted a done-for-me solution. Yep. So his course was incredibly invaluable for that. Um, there have been a lot of other resources that have come up online uh, since then. Our mutual friend, Philip Morgan, has an article on all the podcasting equipment he uses. Mm -hmm. And he actually has done a very nice job of that. So if we can find it, I'm sure we can link it up. We'll link the, uh, Philip along with um, Pat and John's stuff in the show notes. Yeah, those are my primary resources. Uh, the other things uh, is try to stay on the beaten path when it comes to podcast production, meaning don't try to get too crazy or fancy with it. For example, microphone, don't overthink it. If you're starting your first podcast, I will tell you right now what microphones get, the ATR 2100 or the Yeti. That's it, right? There's a ton of other mics you could get. You can dive into the craziness of audio production. But these are microphones where you will sound professional, you will spend $100 or less, and you will move on with life. Uh, same with production. One of my biggest regrets with my podcast is I feel the format's a little too complicated. I have a pre-intro, I have some intro music, I have an intro, and then the actual interview, and then an outro, and outro music. If I were to do it again, I would do everything live, I would bring the guest on, I would welcome them. I would play my intro music right there on the spot. And then I would get into the interview. That would have saved me hours of editing afterwards and piecing audio files together. Um, so there's that you know, old advice, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. When, you, when you're embarking on this type of project, it's so tempting to be creative, so tempting to want to innovate. Get the basics down. Your show's yeah, I mean, you don't need to be a radio show. I mean, I mean I've seen yeah. people who think they need like radio, like NPR production quality. Mm. But I mean, some of the biggest podcasts, I think even like 
it's a Tim Ferriss podcast, sounds completely unedited. It's just like started recording, ended recording, and that's it, right? Like, I mean, there's not, maybe, maybe it's a little more produced than I'm thinking, but I, I, I know there are quite a few that, I mean, people are there for the content. I mean, they don't need the weird person you found on Fiverr to do the intro voice or anything like, you know, like. I did that. Not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> Lasted, I think, two episodes. Um, I think I want to ask you too, on this note, since we're doing a podcast now, I'm doing the video of this and I'm going to try out putting it both on YouTube along with on Simplecast. Have you done that? Have you seen that work? Is it like a, just another place the episode lives? So I'll start with saying that is not my primary experience. I okay. specifically chose audio because video made things harder for me. <laughs> but I did do a couple video recordings and I've been on other podcasts that have done video like this one. Yeah. So I think where a lot of the value comes from is you can take snippets of that show and share it on social media like Facebook and so on. Yeah. The harsh truth is very few people are going to go on YouTube and look at two talking heads for an hour <laughs> instead of right. getting like the MP3 file or something. Yeah. And, and when you look at what content actually does well on YouTube, it's not the talking heads. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this audio can't be valuable or video can't be valuable because where I do see it work, again, Facebook, social, if you can clip it, you can show snippets. I think that's excellent. I like that. I like the, I haven't thought about that, but I like the idea of making almost like a trailer for the episode, right? Yeah, exactly. That worked really well for me. I recorded the interview of Alan Weiss on YouTube. It's done okay because I sent a lot of pay-per-click traffic to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can even see the number of dislikes to likes is unfortunate, but mostly because like the audio quality or video quality is not great and it's uh -huh. two talking heads. But when I used it to promote the interview on, on social media, that did well. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, good things to think about. Um, but most importantly, I think I think... Thank you for coming on because I think we, it was interesting just kind of two podcasters kind of hashing out like how would neither of us have a podcast that is targeting our ideal consulting client, right? Yeah. That being said though, I think both of us have greatly benefited from the exposure, the authority building, and really the clarity that I think comes from what you and I have just been doing the last 30 minutes. Um, so Best place for people to find out more about you, I believe, are tiltedpixel.com and freelancetransformation.com. Anything I'm missing? Or Yeah, absolutely. And of course, in your podcast player, you can also search Freelance Transformation and subscribe to the podcast. Well, Matt, thank you for coming on. Thanks so much, Brandon. You've been listening to the first season of the Double Your Freelancing podcast. To download the book that we've put together that covers everything that we've discussed, all the resources we've linked to, and actionable takeaways from this season, head on over to doubleyourfreelancing.com slash season one and download it for free.